So welcome, my name is Michelle. Uh, I live here at Mount Hermon, and uh, Sharon, who is on her way out, is a very good friend of mine. She was really one of those people that made me feel very welcome when um, I moved here and kind of started on the next part of my journey. I was a CPA, um, and in finance, I had a career of uh, 28 years. I was in public accounting for 18 years of that. Um, I worked in all departments in public accounting, and then I went into corporate um, finance where I was working on corporate tax and import and export control for a semiconductor equipment manufacturer. Does that sound like, yeah, it was as good as all that, yeah. And, and really when I was in high school, my passion was I loved music, I loved fashion design, I loved all of those things. And, and when I turned, um, when I was 17, uh, my cousin who was older and married and had three children, her husband drove a truck and one day his load went through the cab and he died instantly. And she had never graduated high school. And I, and I remember sitting as a kid, you're literally listening to this saying, I'm never going to be in that situation, which is why I majored in accounting. <laughs> um, and I was a music minor, you know, which I ended up finishing after I've left this career. And I've gone on to finish my master's in choral conducting. And I thought it was just so fun that they left the stand here for me. Because this actually feels more um, at home. And so if we want to actually sing later, then yeah. Um, so this is kind of um, unique to me that I'm coming back and revisiting this after I've been really away from it, really, for so many years. So I'm really glad you're joining me here today. Hopefully this will be a fun and non-stressful. I'm going to try to make it as non-stressful. Because I actually feel the stress. You know, when I was a CPA and people would come to see me, um, I said, okay, they were like paying me to give them the information. You know, and, and when I'd always have to tell them what their tax due was, I'd say, oh, there is good news and bad news. The good news is you made a lot of money this year. <laughs> And then we'd go forward from that. But when, it, when, um, but when we're in this kind of situation, I, I said there's really kind of, I think, three people here. Um, there's some that are kind of struggling with this issue. There are some that are the finance nerds who are here saying, I just want to hear this and feel affirmed. And, and then there's friends of mine who are here and supporting me. So um, whatever bucket you're in, uh, just glad you're here and um, we'll enjoy ourselves. So we're gonna start actually with, and so all of you have, you do not have an exact duplicate of my slides, but we have things that we'll kind of work through. And so um, the first thing we're gonna start through is, is, okay, is, I'll see, this is the fun part. Okay, you know, I got here early so that I could make sure that this was going to work. Okay, and, oh, here we go. I think this will work now. There we go. Okay. So we're going to talk about kind of the financial truths that um, you're hearing these days in society. You know, and, and so many of these things we just buy into because it's just, it is thrown at us every single day. How many of you got a credit card application in the mail this week? Um, yeah, I mean, it just happens all the time. And so I, we're going to, it literally is going to be two truths and a lie. And so on this first group here, I want you to kind of go through your own little things and make your own determinations of what do you think, um, which two are true, 
and which one is not so true. Debt consolidation is rarely a good strategy. So debt consolidation is when you actually combine a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of debts into one big debt um, and with the idea that somehow you're going to get benefit by that. Second thing is student loan debt is just like any other debt. Um, and then the third one is there's good debt and bad debt. Okay, so here we go. Debt consolidation is rarely a good strategy. That is a true statement. And the reason why is when they have you consolidate those five credit cards into one big credit card, you may um, actually reduce your interest rate on the overall, and you've reduced your payment, but you're going to be paying on that much, much, much longer, and it's going to also hurt your credit score. And so um, you really need to be thinking about other things besides consolidating your debt as far as a way of getting out of debt. Second thing, student loan debt is just like any other debt. It's true. It's true. To me, this is one of the biggest lies that society is telling us these days. And I don't know how many trillion of dollars there is in student debt these days. Um, but it is a travesty that we need to figure out how we're going to get out of this problem. And I know we have all these lovely political candidates that are just saying we're going to forgive it all, but somebody else is going to end up paying for it because it just doesn't disappear. And so we're going to talk about that some more as we go through here. So students are allowed, one, to, to borrow way too much money. The, the max I've heard that any student should be borrowing is what you'd make after you, your first year. So if you're going to be a, a teacher and you're going to make 50 grand in your in your first year of teaching, then that's the max you should be borrowing because that's the max you have any possibility of ever repaying. You know, they've, they've worked the numbers, right? And so we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Students allowed to, um, allowed to borrow way too much. And then the entire education path and cost needs to be evaluated for multiple options. Uh, I, I was a... Um, after I finished my master's, I also taught high school for um, a year and a half. Right now, I'm kind of in between things. Um, but it was very interesting, as I'd never been a school teacher, to all of a sudden be in a classroom of freshmen. You know, I had all these freshman kids. And, and I was also hearing, though, all the other things that were going on at the, at the high school um, where I was, and hearing these messages of people who have always been in that industry. And so um, I was maybe not loved <laughs> in that environment because I had a completely different perspective. I believe college education is very important. Um, a college education pushed in a vacuum and not looking at how much it's going to cost and how much you're ultimately going to have to pay for that, you really have to examine that. And I think parents are unprepared or guilty as all get out, right? Um, wanting the best for their kids, as they should, um, but they are not educated, and we end up with these kids that are ending up with 100,000, 200,000 of debt, and they can never start life after they finished college. So ways to decrease the... And so these are things... I would, I would talk to these freshman kids, you know, everything from high school is the last time you get to try anything for free. It's the last time. Every time else you want to do something, it's going to cost you money. And so you should be taking a full load all the way through high school. How many kids are like their senior year, they get off at noon, 
and they don't have a job, and it's not like they're doing anything else. And it's like, oh, there's so many other things they could be experiencing and trying, because to try them out in college is very, very expensive. Advanced placement counts as college credit. My, my nephew had enough advanced placement classes from high school that he was a semester ahead. You can take college courses during high school. All of your community colleges let you take courses. Um, you can earn your general education certificate at community colleges, which means that literally the first two years of college, you have done at community college prices. So a full load at um, community college, I want to say is like 640 bucks or something like that. That's a year's, of a year's worth of tuition. Might be a semester. Anyone know here? Um, versus a state university is closer to four grand, and that's just tuition for one semester. Okay, and so you can get this certificate, which gets that first two years, get it all done at community college. Um, what do you think the maturity level is of the average college freshman? It's, it's yeah, it's it's not very high. A lot of them just don't know. You know, I have I have eight grandchildren, and my oldest just turned 18, and he's starting at Foothill um, College this this fall, probably last week. Um, and, you know, he so badly wanted to go to all of these other, you know, of course, all his friends are going and, and all of that stuff. But he is a young, he is a young 18, as so many of them are. And to be, uh, I see parents and students buying into $30,000 tuition that they've done really minimal research on. They research a new car purchase 10 times as much as they do looking at the cost of college. And I am not bemoaning college. I think college is great. I think trade schools are great. Um, but, and then you have undergraduate courses and specific subjects can be taken at community college. So when I decided to go back and finish my music degree, I had finished my minor, which was a lot of my undergrad stuff. Um, I was also able to finish some missing classes that I didn't have at community college. And then I ended up um, getting my bachelor's from a college that you had to figure out how many classes and residents do you have to take at that college, because that's where you get the degree from, is that college that you've completed. Well, in that college, it was 24 units. Most colleges are probably more like 30 units you have to have in residence, meaning you've transferred in, you take those courses that are there, and you graduate. Does it matter that you went to six colleges before you, got, you graduated from UC Berkeley? No. You get the same degree, right? A lot of it is, and now you don't want to be taking eight years to get there, right? Um, and so there has to be a plan, you know, for all of this too. Meeting with counselors constantly and making sure that the kids are on track. Guaranteed transfer programs. Um, all community colleges in California have transfer um, guarantees to various universities throughout California. So you can get, again, all, so you're not losing units. There's nothing worse than you know, losing a whole semester. But you know, losing a whole semester because they were, thought they'd try an engineering class or they'd try a software class at community college is awesome. I have a friend who, um, her daughter went to USC and graduated with an engineering degree, and she worked six months, and she hated it and quit, and then went back to school and got her degree in counseling, school counseling. 
It's like, what a waste. What a waste, right? And so we have to be talking to our kids a lot more, a lot, lot more, to go and, and get them much more focused on what do they want to be doing with their life. ROTC, National Guard, other military service, offers educational benefits, right? ROTC, when you're in ROTC, they can't draft you. Did you know that? So um, ROTC, I don't even know what that stands for. It's something you do like in high school and you can do it in college. Um, National Guard, they can actually make you active um, while you're in National Guard, but if you're in ROTC, uh, they cannot make you active. So that's just something to think about. You know, as a parent, if you're worried about your kids and you're thinking, should I be recommending something like this or not? Um, but you get multiple years and you can get those upper years paid for, you know, of your college also with military. Public loan, public service loan deferment program. This is really great, especially if you're going to be like a teacher in an underserved um, population. You have to be very careful. I, you know, the stuff that I've been researching on that is unless you have checked every box as you're going along and you haven't messed up with all your student loans all along, there's, there's multiple ways to mess up on this. And so if, if you were thinking that you really wanted to be teaching in East LA, then, then that's awesome and you need to be looking at that kind of from the get-go before you ever take a loan. And then that's basically loan forgiveness. And then of course scholarships, there's scholarships for everything. I'm gonna have to move faster. Okay, good debt, bad debt. No, it's all bad debt. <laughs> it is all bad debt. Um, you know, if debt is used for a home, I would say make a plan to pay it off early if you can. So um, when uh, I had, so I remember when I, so this was the early 80s, and I want to say uh, I was a CPA filling out doing tax returns, and I remember seeing people that had 18% interest rates on mortgages back in 82, right? And I was really thrilled when I bought my first home, and I think I had an adjustable rate, and it started at 7%, right? And, and, and you, so you never really know kind of what's going on. And what I ended up doing is saying, you know, I wasn't quite sure I was ready to commit to a 15-year loan, but there's no penalty for 99% of the mortgages if you pay them down early. So I didn't have to get the 15-year loan. I had the 30-year, and I would just make chunks of principal payment until I said, okay, I know I can do this, you know, and, and so you refinance. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah. So um, I would actually, we're going to park that question because okay. we have a case study okay. um, that we're going to look at later, which kind of looks at potentially that situation because we do know that certainly California, even you know in this area, I think Santa Cruz is the, highest, the least affordable county in all of California based on ratio of income to housing prices. Um, so I would say yes, try to pay it off early if you can, and we'll talk about like life in California later. Um, <laughs> if debt is used to fund education, research, the you know forgiveness, public service, etc., and debt holds you back on all your goals, 
because you're paying interest. Just because you want something now, it's rarely going to be justified by paying the interest Does on that. Debt, that affects your, your credit, uh, that number, what is it called? Um, credit your credit rating? Not your rating, but that, like, your credit score? Yeah. So yes. Um, and who, who d decides what that number is? So the credit score <laughs> is, is um, it's, it's determined really by a formula, looking at how much credit have you qualified for, how well are you paying it off, have you ever been late on anything, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so having an awesome credit score is only awesome if you actually need credit. I had, um, I think it was 802. That's awesome. I, I know it is, and yeah. I don't know how it got there, but and the, these people, they says, I've never seen a number like that, and which I'm glad. And of You're one of the nerds. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you paid your bills all the time. Yeah, oh, yeah. 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 You, never, you never were late on bills. You never defaulted on a loan. Yeah. So yeah. it's just responsive, you know. Round two. I know. Round two. Two or false. People should spend less and invest more. Winning the money game requires using 80% behavior and 20% head knowledge. Or anyone can save more when they try harder. One of those is faults. So this, this is how I said it. So spend more. Spend less, invest more, true. Um, behavior versus head knowledge. Behavior, and that's a true statement. I save more when I try harder. The reality is, is trying alone without goals and strategy, and you might define that as your de definition of trying, but when you just say, I'm going to try hard without a plan, then you're probably not going to be very because successful. So it's really trying to figure out what are my goals, what are my strategy in there. Yep. Millionaires around us. Millionaires usually drive expensive cars. Millionaires are more motivated by a goal of financial security than peer pressure. Millionaires have a high need for approval and respect from others. One of those is false usually drive expensive cars. The top 10 cars for 250,000 plus households, it does include the Mercedes E, Lexus, and the BMW 5 and 3. Following those top four, these are all people who are making over 250,000 a year, or three different Honda models, a Toyota, an Acura, and a Volkswagen. So they've just made a conscious decision to spend their money differently. 61% of the wealthy actually drive Hondas and Toyotas and Fords. 8% of people who make less than 100000 own a luxury car model, earning $60,000 a year and paying for a $50,000 car. That's the question I'm putting in front of you today. Is that really, is that what the millionaire is doing? And the question is unlikely. Millionaires are more motivated by a goal of financial security than peer pressure. It's true. Because financial security is something that they're looking at. It's not an, it's not an accident. 
and then millionaires have a high need for approval and respect from others. No. Because otherwise they could certainly, we all know we can get debt. You know, debt's actually one of the easiest things to do. So six behaviors, and so this came from um, The Millionaire Next Door. I don't know if anyone's heard of that book before. You know, six behaviors related to net worth potential. So net worth is how much money after you take all of your assets and you take your debts, that's your net worth, regardless of age or income, frugality, or commitment to saving, spending less, sticking to a budget. Oh, I used that B word. I said I wasn't going to. Um, confidence in financial management, investing, and household leadership. Responsibility, which involves accepting your role in financial outcomes and believing that luck plays little role. No magical thinking, you know, in any of this. Planning or setting goals for your financial future. Focus on seeing tasks through to their completion without being distracted. Social indifference or not succumbing to social pressure to buy the latest thing. Cars. New cars lose 20% of their value in year one and 10% per year thereafter. All these are, you know, two of these are true, one is false. I should buy a car if I can get 0% interest rate. Or leasing a car is the same thing as buying a car. Two of those are true, one is false. New cars lose 20 to 30% of their value in year one and 10 to 15% thereafter. A new car, yeah. So if you even just bought a one-year-old car, you're going to save an average of 25% on that. I buy a car if I can get 0% interest rate. So they, you lo they love to see that out there. The reality is, is it's a great advertising ploy for the car dealerships because only about 5%, you with your 810 score would qualify because it's usually you have to have at least 750 or higher to qualify for that. Usually the 0% interest rate offers um, have a very short payback period on there and so you need to be pay attention to that. If you fail to make your payments then all of a sudden the interest rate just goes and did you really get the best price you know to begin with because they're paying for that 0% somewhere. somewhere. Leasing a car is the same thing as buying a car. False. You know, if long-term cost savings on a new or used vehicle is your primary objective, and I realize that may not be, but if you want to be wealthy, it should be a primary objective, is you should buy a car for cash and drive it into the ground, or drive it until repair costs exceed the cost of replacing it. It's the best way to save money in the long run. Leasing a car is like renting an apartment. Renting gives you monthly payments that might be more manageable than a mortgage in order to live in a nice house or apartment, and that's all that leasing does. At the end of your lease period, you have nothing, and in fact, you may owe something if you've driven more than the miles that you're allowed per year underneath the lease. Okay, and so after that depressing thing, I always have, so I have jokes, and I am not a really great joke person, so I have to like read them. It's really bad. I enjoy jokes desperately. Okay, so. A preacher went into church and he was praying to God. 
While he was praying, he asked God, how long is 10 million years to you? And God replied, one second. The next day, the preacher asked God, God, how much is $10 million to you? And God replied, a penny. And finally, the next day, the preacher asked God, God, can I have one of your pennies? <laughs> and God replied, just wait a sec. <laughs> Sorry, I know. <laughs> so I, um, let me check my time, too. So we, what time do we end here? Do you know? 4.30, 5, 6 o'clock. Okay, okay, I think we're okay. Okay. So um, I want to talk about, you know, what, is, what does the Bible say about, you know, money? Um, and, and the first point that I wanted to make, so at the back of your workbook, I think there is four to six pages of scripture on the three kind of subjects we're going to talk about. What does the Bible have to say about money? And, and the, the first point I just want to make is the money that comes your way is just not yours to begin with. You know, and, and so um, Corey Ten Boom says, you know, hold, hold things lightly because when God takes, rips it out of your hand, it's going to hurt. So it's, it's really saying, okay, if this is all God's money to begin with, what do I do? And, and so C.S. Lewis in his Mere Christianity um, says, every faculty you have, every power of thinking uh, or moving your limbs from moment to moment is given to you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything. That was not, in a sense, his own already. So a lot of it is just kind of rethinking how, how do we think about money and what we're, what we're doing with it. God is always enough, whether you've been entrusted with a little or a lot. Um, you have accountability throughout your whole financial life. I don't know, well, I would say your, your life in general, right? But certainly in your financial life. And I thought this was interesting because this really talks about in Philippians 4.19. It says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. And 1 Timothy 6, 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You know, God will supply all of our needs. Oh, I have more jokes. I'm an Ellie. I didn't think that was that heavy. Maybe it is. Maybe we need to think about that again. Um, so Timmy didn't want to put his money in the offering plate Sunday morning. So his mother decided to use some hurried, creative reasoning with him. She says, you don't want that money, honey, she whispered in his ear. Quick, drop it in the plate, it's tainted. Horrified, the little boy obeyed. After a few seconds, he whispered, but mommy, why was the money tainted? Was it dirty? Oh, no, dear, she replied, it's not really dirty. It's just taint yours and it taint mine. It's God's. So. And, and I think I put that in there because the next thing we talk about is the, another kind of depressing word, stewardship. And I, I put up here just some definitions because I thought that, um, you know, we're asked to be good stewards of what God has entrusted us. And that's, he's entrusted us with everything we have. And so if you are like managing, think of it as managing God's stuff, what exactly does that mean? And down here it talks about the conduct, oh, I have, I think, a pointer. 
the conducting, supervising, or managing of something, especially the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. Because he's really given it just to us to hold there, manage it for him, and make sure that we're taking care of it for him. Well, there's a lot of things we should send to Washington, D.C. Yeah. You know, so what is God's expectations? He requires accountable action for the sake of his kingdom. So I've put in, in your workbook, there actually is all the text from Matthew 25, 14 through 30. And this is talking about the master who went to his three servants. And to the first servant, he gave him five talents. He says, invest this money for me. And to the second servant, he gave two talents. So talents, I'm just going to say, like, I gave him $5,000. The first guy gave $5,000 and said, do something with me, with this money for me. The second service, he gave $2,000 and said, you need to do something with this money for me. And then the third servant, he gave $1,000 to and said, you need to. So the same instruction to all three, three different amounts entrusted to three different servants. The first servant doubled his money. He had 5,000, he ended up with 10,000, and he showed the master when the master got back from his trip. He says, look what I did. And he says, well done, servant. The second servant came in, and he had 2,000. Instead of 2,000, he had also doubled his money, and now he had 4,000. And the, and the master gave equal praise to both of those, irrespective that one had doubled 5,000, and the other one had doubled 2,000. The third servant had taken the $1,000 and he'd actually hid it. He'd hid it away and he said, oh, master, look, I didn't lose anything. Here it is back for you, just like you gave it to me. And the master was very upset because he'd hidden the money instead of doing even what the master called the safe investment. He could have put it in the savings account, which is earning what? Is it earning a half percent these days? Yeah. Whatever it is, is earning. That's the safe investment. And this guy basically stuck it underneath his mattress. And the, and the consequences for that is, is the master threw him out of his household. And the original dollars that he had given to him to invest, he actually gave to the guy who'd made 5000 right? And so this was a parable that Jesus, you know, was, was teaching to people, which is saying, you know, we are not only entrusted, we have to do something with it and that there's accountability at the end of days that, you know, what have we done, in fact, with that? And so it's, I think a lot of it, you know, when I think of of how I go about my life, I tend to um, probably run into more walls than, um, than anything because I tend to take action and I know God, like, whacks me on the side of the head and, like, corrects me to move in some other direction, right, when things aren't, um, going that way, as opposed to, to I'm not a very good sitter and waiter um, for God to tell me what to do. And, and that's probably my personal, one of my personal problems. You know, we're building a house. You may, and so if you went up to the, um, the cross today, you might have seen a house that we're building. It's the log house. Did you see a log house in, under construction? So we are, um, come next May, it'll be three years from the time we've started that. And we have had nothing but problems all along the way. And I don't really know why um, or what I'm supposed to learn out of this whole process, uh, except that I know that there is something. 
you know, for. And actually, the piece I always tell myself is, is um, I pray about it, right? What's going on? How do I find peace with this? What corrective action do I need to be taking as I'm moving through this? Um, God, help me have patience. Help me not be anxious about things. And, and then move forward, right? As opposed to getting, getting stuck. But, and, and when I get really frustrated, I was telling some folks earlier today, when I get really frustrated and I just feel like I'm not getting answers, right, and getting the direction that I'm feeling I need, I put it in, I put it in my little stack of questions I'm going to ask God when I get to heaven. Because <laughs> I find that that gives me peace, you know, for, for better or worse. You know, I, I have, um, I'm married to my favorite husband, at this point, which means there was a, le- a less favorite one, right? Um, I have had um, problems with kids. I've had just, you know, out of our parents, three out of four have passed away. One's in memory care, right? And so you, you go through all of these things, and you have to say, Lord, help me um, deal with these things. And I have found there's no, I, I cannot put a, a an answer on why did I, God ever allow me to be divorced? I certainly was nothing that I ever wanted to happen. Um, but at this point in my life, I've said, you know, if I care when I get to heaven, that's on, that's on the list, because I've just, I've just left it. You know, I can't worry about it anymore. It's not doing me any good. It's not helping my, my Christian life. It's not helping my path. Um, with God, and so I need to be working on the things that I can be working on. So then we start talking about you know self denial versus self indulgence, and and God requires self control, right? Um, and and I again put up a, a definition: control or restraint of oneself or one's actions and and feelings. Um, in that. And I said, you know, I really don't like that word, even to begin with. What are some other words, even, that I can think of instead of self-control? Abstinence, avoidance, self-control, self-denial, self-restraint, sobriety, abstaining, non-indulgence. None of those sound pretty, you know, really awesome at all. But I think as, as Christ followers, we're asked to follow him, which means denying ourself. And this is another area that we need to be looking at. The Bible warns us if we do not have self-control, we will be slaves to what controls us. And so if you don't control your finances, your finances will end up controlling you. Being self-controlled is the very foundation for living a life of righteousness or selflessness. Owe no one anything in Romans 13.8 except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. You are not alone. This has been happening forever. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Oh, this is why I had to add jokes. I'm like going through this and saying... This is hard, hard subjects here. So a little girl in church for the first time watched as the ushers passed around the offering plates. And when they came near her pew, the girl said loudly, loudly, Dad, don't pay for me. I'm under five. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then this one, which was, have you seen the new bumper sticker? It says, give if you love Jesus, any fool can honk. <laughs> and so it's like, where's the joy, you know, in all of this? Why has God entrusted this with us? Does he just give this to just kind of annoy us, to just test our patience, to test our ability to manage ourselves, all those things? And, and Jesus challenges us with the choice. Accumulate the stuff here, which ultimately has zero value, or use it in such a generous way that we're investing it in the coming kingdom. Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, is where your heart will be also. One of the observations I made when I was doing people's tax returns is you could tell what was important to them. You know, you're in a unique position um, to see what's important to people. And, and it's a rare glimpse in, and of trust, you know, that people would let us do their tax returns. But you could certainly see what was important. Second Corinthians, the point of this is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And this is talking about God's kingdom, right? Investing in God's kingdom. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Um, so I'm not going to um, talk about tithing today. You know, it's been, been, it was very interesting. So, um, oh, I'll go back. Um, so in the Old Testament, the only percentage of what to give um, is defined under Judaic law, and that was to give 10% of what you make to your local church. And so I have, I have grown up since a wee child, hearing all the, all the sermons on tithing. Um, but there actually is um, a lot of stuff out there kind of questioning, is that old law to which we're not subject to in, as believers in Christ? Um, and so I've kind of made the point that it, God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a generous giver. Um, how you define that is going to be between you and God. Uh, there's... There's, it's certainly meritorious to look at the Judaic law of 10% um, and know that that was a guideline given to, to, to the Jews. Um, and you have to kind of decide what applicability does that have to you. Because really the scriptural stuff that I was seeing um, was kind of mixed on whether or not that applied to modern Christians. So my top, so this is like getting just to me. What do I believe? When I'm giving, so I was uh, a CPA when I was uh, in public accounting. I'd also gotten my personal, personal financial spe specialist certification also. Um, and so I was doing first personal financial planning for folks also. So set goals. You have to set a goal. You can't be setting and just sitting around drifting through life and wondering why things aren't happening for you financially. Um, commit to a strategy. You have to say, oh, how am I going to get from point A to point B? Um, because hoping that it's going to happen, hoping for the lottery big win, hoping for the big tax return refund, all of those things are not a strategy unless you did it 
like on purpose, right? The amount of money, available money, does not increase by itself. This sounds really obvious, but if you have a pot of money, the pot doesn't, pot doesn't magically grow. Um, it, it can shrink, certainly, if there's an emergency, but the only way you can change what really is happening, you have to make more money or you have to decrease your spending. Those are the only two options. There, are, there really aren't any other options. You must make more money or spend less. A three to six months emergency fund is critical because you just don't know. When we get to the case study, you'll see that, you know, things happen, right? And you need to be prepared for that. And when I say three to six months, if you looked at your spending pattern and what does that mean, um, you need to have that as a safety net. Uh, no credit card debt. No ongoing car monthly payments. Buy cars for cash which means you might have to be saving money. You know, you're driving your car. I drive a 2013 Ford Escape, um, and that's paid for. And I, I actually love my car. I've been driving it, and, and it's perfect for up here. It's kind of high. I can get over the speed bumps without dragging my bottom. There's room for the dog. You know, all of those things. Buy cars for cash. Buy used cars. You know, and, and if you feel like you want a nicer car, then you slowly upgrade, you know, over time. Any student debt is the student's debt, not mom and dad's. So there's enormous guilt when it comes to putting your children through college. Um, and, and I do not believe unless you are, you can pay for it with cash if you've saved for it and all of that stuff, but you need to make sure that your retirement is funded first and, and you've paid off your own debts and not be taking on student debt. If there is, if you feel like the only way to do any kind of college, which I don't believe in debt, but if there is student debt, it's the students and not the parents. After all the consumer debt is paid, then you establish your saving goals. Your first priority after an emergency fund is to pay off all your debt. Retirement funding needs to be on track before helping with student college costs. And when you can, you pay off that mortgage, right? When we talk about financial freedom and, and investing in what God wants you to be doing, the last thing God wants you to be doing is paying interest. And even if you get a tax deduction for your mortgage, you're still only getting a tax deduction for basically a third of that value, which means that two-thirds of it is still gone, right, as far as that interest. There's no value to you at all. And so... It, do I think that you should pay cash for your house? It's really hard to do that, right? And so if there's going to be any debt, um, mortgage would be the only debt. And then I'd be looking at, you know, you have to be very, very careful about refinancing it because, um, and again, in the olden days, where you had 18% interest, and then they'd refinance down to 13%. Then they'd refinance down to, you know, nine. I mean, we were just thrilled. The fact that it's been so low for as many years that it has been is stunning. But that's unusual, right? The last five years of mortgage rates is very unusual. But every time that you refinanced, if you didn't change your payment period, then all of a sudden you went from a 30-year mortgage to a 35-year mortgage, to a 40-year mortgage, because it was 30 years each time you were refinancing. And so the only way you get out of that loop is you refinance somewhere in there for 15 or you're making extra principal payments 
on there. So you have to be very, it's like refinancing and just extending the mortgage is the same thing as debt consolidation for your credit cards where you're not ending up with anything better. Oh, I know, see, this is just depressing. Okay. Okay. Okay, so this is a little long, but it's, you have to listen. So there's a story about a wealthy Christian who somehow got obsessed with the idea of taking some of his wealth to heaven. Now, we knew the Bible clearly teaches that you can't take it with you, but so obsessed was he with this desire that he prayed and prayed that God would give him permission to take some of his wealth to heaven with him. Finally, God spoke to him and said, okay, you can take one suitcase to heaven. Well, the story continues, and the man was deep in thought, what do I take, what do I take? Anyway, he packed a suitcase, and one day, he died. He slowly approached the pearly gates, dragging his suitcase behind him. And St. Peter met him there at the gate and said, Wait a minute, what do you think you're doing? You're not allowed to take anything into heaven. The man answered, You don't understand. I have special permission from God himself to take the suitcase into heaven. <laughs> Peter rubbed his beard and said, Well, that's very unusual. I can't imagine God letting you do that. Let me look inside your suitcase and see what's there. So the man dragged the suitcase over, and Peter opened it to see what was filled with gold bars and gold bricks. <laughs> Peter said, well, all right, if God said so, I suppose you can take that in if you want. But why in the world did you go to all this trouble just to bring more pavement to heaven? <laughs> that was good. So what we have, um, so there's a couple little things. I'm going to talk about Financial Peace University. So Dave Ramsey is a Christian financial advisor that has um, programs that are all across the United States. Um, there's one that's actually starting at Twin Lakes tomorrow morning, which is where I go to church in Aptos. And I know that uh, they tend to be, I want to say they're a year-round program, and they have a big fall session, so the Twin Lakes starts tomorrow and, and stops like first week of um, December, takes a break, and then restarts up in January. Um, and what he, his kind of baby steps are is to do the $1,000 emergency fund. If you have nothing, if you have nothing, this is like saying you have nothing, you are deep in debt, and you're saying, how in the world do I get out of this? Um, $1,000 emergency fund. Pay off all the non-mortgage debt using the debt snowball, and I'll talk about that on the next slide. Then do your three to six months of emergency of your expenses and saving, that's your emergency fund. And then invest 15% of your household income in Roth IRAs, right? Or, or pre-retirement, you know, it's your retirement, right? Fund college for children, pay off your home early, build wealth, <laughs> give away a bunch. And so this is, this is like, you know, the million foot overview of what his program does. And so, um, there's, there's churches all over the place that are doing this. The debt snowball method basically looks at and say, okay, I have, you make a decision, how much do I have to pay off credit card debt? And in this case, they have $500. And so he says, go ahead and take the smallest balance, because part of this is you have to develop some synergy and excitement that something is working finally for you, right? And so you take the smallest balance, the minimum payment is this, so what he does, if, let's see, so this is math here. So that's 220, 240, 240, and 260 is your 500. You see how I got up with that number? And so these are the minimum payments you have to make on your other two credit cards. But you take that difference, and you pay this down until it's completely gone. 
So that one's, the first one's gone. And then, then you do the same thing. And this time, here's the minimum payment. You still have the 500 bucks. And now you're making 340 bucks on payment each month on this till that one's paid off. And then you're paying the full you know, amount on that just to kind of see things start to disappear as far as your credit card debt. So I want to do a quick, um, maybe not so quick, but quick, uh, I want to do a case study. It's always much more fun to analyze other people's problems, right, um, than it is our own. And so uh, I have three pages that are going on there. Let's see, it's 519. We still have, yeah, we're good. So there's on your page 8, 9, and 10. On page 8 is where is the cash coming in and going out? On page 9, what are their assets and their debts? And page 10 is what are their goals in life, right? Because you have to have all of these kind of baseline things going on here. And so Mary, what, what's kind of funny is, you know, in my new music life that I was doing, so this morning I ran out of here because I was reading for a Christmas like Broadway program that I'm in, and Mary and Joseph are called Mary and Joe, which I had no idea until I was reading that this morning that these were the two characters that I had also chosen for my, my case study here. So Mary and Joe are both 28. She's a construction manager. I made her something awesome because I have not seen a single woman working on my new construction project uh, since anyone has started, and that's kind of sad because construction workers, I can tell you, are making good money these days. Uh, so she is actually a construction manager, and Joe is a school teacher working in San Jose. Um, they're not currently working any extra jobs, and they're making 10 grand a month. Uh, the cash that's going out, they have a mortgage, they have a townhouse, and the mortgage, property tax, insurance, homeowners association, all that's running them, you know, three grand a month. The food is 800, their PG&E is 200. Oh, there's a wedding here today. That's what the bell is. I saw the, I saw the flowers, and they always let them ring the bell in there. Yeah. Um, healthcare premiums, retirement savings. So Joe automatically has 10% taken out of his paycheck because he's a teacher. And so that's what they're contributing. I've computed your taxes for you at the different tax levels here. So that those are just kind of what I considered... I, I added a subtotal there because I consider those kind of base stuff. And so this is all on your page eight, right? Page eight, same exact thing. And then down below that line, I have things that start getting into what I consider more discretionary kind of areas, right? Transportation, cable TV, cell phone, internet, other debt, that's all their minimum payments. Some personal spending, and you know, they're not able to make any charitable gifts, any emergency fund saving, specific goal saving, et cetera. So that's kind of the baseline right now. In group two, I kind of have the scenario. Mary has just found out that she's six weeks pregnant. And so they need to be making some, you know, some changes and some decisions on that. Uh, if you look at the group three column, um, this is when Mary goes on maternity leave. So we kind of have the current situation. We have seven months until she delivers that baby. We have three and a half months. She's on maternity leave. And then what's happening when she goes back to work? 
And where it kind of looks like, you know, I'm, I'm just looking at kind of the group one column. I don't know why, it's just easier. I should have labeled these better. The group one column is um, they're kind of making, seemingly kind of making it happen. It, you know, it's not perfect, but they're paying their bills. But you can see how quickly things start getting messed up when all of a sudden life changes, right, on that. So I'm actually going to divide you up. We have six tables. Let's see. I'm going to make, because I know you're a finance nerd. You're group one. So if you look at your next pages, actually, we're going to go over the other two things, too. We're going to talk about that later. Let's go over these, these assets and debts. They're letting all the whole bridal party, I guess, ring the bell. Um, <laughs> So their checking account, they only have 1000 bucks. Their emergency fund, they only have 500 bucks. Retirement savings, he has 6000 because he's only been teaching a year. Their townhouse is worth $620,000. Uh, they have a Ford Escape, which is an awesome car. 13000 that's the fair market of that. And she drives a 2017 Chevy Silverado 1500 crew cab work truck, which is worth 30000 the debts are the car loan. She has a 0% interest rate, but she owes $24,000 on that car. Um, and then credit card bills, they have eight grand on that. And student debt, 20 grand on his um, student, on his teaching credential. And then uh, they have a mortgage of $500,000 on the townhouse. And so these are the payments. You know, we have the 500 bucks on the car, 250 on the credit bit, credit cards. You see the interest rate on all of those things and uh, all that. And then we have, oh, I love this cartoon. It shows two guys in their little boxer brief saying, that was the best sermon on giving I've ever heard. <laughs> um, you know, so goals, you know, it's... Uh, they would love to give and give generously, but right now they don't have any ability to do that. Um, and their target is to be able to invest a thousand bucks per month to obtain their goals. And I just gave some examples of things. You know, if if they set aside a thousand bucks, and you're, I can tell I have feedback there, a thousand bucks for for the baby, right? Then they have that in month one. Right, short-term emergency fund. You know, add another, you know, two thousand bucks into that because they're just running bare. That only give them one month. Pay off their credit cards. How long would that take? Pay off the student debt. Buy any future car with cash. So that's just kind of doing that. You know, and, and again, I've done these in subsequent months. This is month one, month two and three, month four through three. So they have a plan. You know, what are we doing with this? Assuming we can find the thousand bucks, right? But that's going to be part of what you're doing here, right? And then year six and beyond, you know, once they kind of get through all of this, this is actually the last one was to buy, to increase their emergency fund. So they truly had three to six months, you know, of expenses in case one of them got very ill or whatever. You know, paid, if they paid another 1100 a month, that basically converts that 30 year mortgage into a 15 year mortgage without even having to refinance, right? So if they already had a good rate, then they could just chunk that down there and pay it off twice as fast. And, and I didn't even you know, put any numbers in here. Certainly bumping up the retirement savings because they're not doing anything right now for Mary um, on any of that. So those are those three things. So if you go to your next sheet, you will see, I'm gonna divide you up in group, groups here. I'm gonna put you, 
These two tables are going to be group one. So actually, you might want to converge if you want. You guys look like an awesome group two. You guys look like an awesome group three. And I'm going to combine you, these two tables and have you guys be group four. Okay? So we're going to spend like 10 minutes. Um, so you, you guys probably want to sit, maybe scoot over to another table. You'll be in group four and answer those questions. And then we'll kind of converge all together again. So I'm going to just walk around, and, and if you guys have questions. Can you, can you hear me? Yep. So I know you haven't had a huge amount of time for this, but we're going to kind of walk through all of these and try to get some crowd, crowd knowledge on all of these things. So group one. Group one, what were three things that you think are okay about their current income and spending? Saving for retirement. Saving for retirement. Okay, what else? The health care. Health care, absolutely. What's the, what's the third thing that they're doing that's okay? Not spending more than 30% of their income on their house. Not spending more than 30% of their income on their house, on their housing cost. Yeah, and that's really hard to, to manage in this area. What are three things that you saw on their current spending that you thought they needed to, to look at some more? Personal spending. Personal spending. Is it too high or too low? Too high. And, and certainly, we don't know enough about what it is that they're spending it on, right, to kind of have some granularity. I know that um, Dave Ramsey, and again, I keep speaking to him just because he's the most popular guy these days, wants you to account for every penny, you know, of that, so you know where it's all gone. So it's just a big number right now that seems big, right? What else do you think they might be working on? Food budget. Seems high? Yep. Yeah. What are you supposed to be doing? A lot of wine. Well, that's going to stop. <laughs> going out to dinner, yeah. Yep. 28. Yep. So big, big food experiences. What's, what's the third thing that they could be working on? 15% credit card debt. 15, yeah, that really high credit card debt that it's 15% is, it'd, it'd be a huge priority. Group two. Mary and Joe are six weeks pregnant. I'm sorry, I need to fix this. It's just making me sad. There we go. Um, so if you were going to allocate the 2,500 bucks, how would you allocate that? Actually, I'm going to see if I can do this magic here and try to update this like on the fly. So group two, what did you do with your 2,500 bucks? What did you decrease? Personal spending to 300. Okay, what else? Three hundred. Okay. What else did you? Got rid of cable. Transportation. Sell the car and start taking local. We don't know where they live, but if it's possible. So how? So how? How much did you? Um, how much is left that they're paying for transportation? Oh. 
Yeah, she, so it was not going to get that back. The car's worth 30, what was it, 30 grand? So they have six grand if they sold the car, but she doesn't have a car to drive to work. Or the doctor's office, and she's a construction they manager. Have they have two cars. They have a Ford Escape. They could sell the Ford Escape. So I'm going to just kind of put in there from a spending thing that maybe we've cut it down to what, 300 bucks for gas and insurance a month, right? Okay. That's true. Well, how much? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so, how much? How much are they going to make on that extra job? We're thinking like three hundred because we don't want them to be working. Go crazy. Yep. Away from this poor woman. Okay. If she's always alone all day and all night because he's working so hard, that's. It's not great for the marriage, and so that is a. Um, so on the debt, you've gotten rid of that five hundred dollars. Payment, right? So we're down to 480. And so let's see, we're going to copy this, control C over to here, control V. Yes, I know that. Okay, so this is, I, I, I guess I didn't do a, I didn't do math. But their, their gross income here is um, now, sorry, I can't make this, I could make it a little smaller. So they're making 10,300 a month in your scenario and they're spending 8400. So that's almost 2000 bucks more that they could be putting towards uh, I'm just going to say they're going to put that towards like saving, right? Desperately saving. Um, uh, it's not perfectly, but it's close enough. Close enough for that. Okay. Group 3. She is now on maternity leave. I've calculated her disability. You see her disability income there? Um, but she only has 7,000. They have 7,000. You see how I say women already take all the responsibility? She has only 7,000 coming in, right? Because we're the ones that are like freaking out about it. Sorry, I could be imagining that. That's me. Um, and so what have you done? What else are they doing? Because right now they, they have 7,000 coming in and just their kind of regular bills are pretty big. Okay, you, we're continuing the income, okay. I can do that. There we go. So what did you do with the car? Sorry, let's see if we can get this up here. Maybe it won't do it on the calc. How sad. Okay. So room, a roommate, because they do have an extra room. Yeah, and then you have a family member that can help with childcare, and then, you know, when you're working, when you have a baby, you have a few hours, you can do a little bit of something. 
And that's that's an awesome idea. That's really out of, out of the box. So some of these things, some of these things, we just really have to think out of the box to kind of get to make any real inroads, right, in solving these problems. So um, group four, I know you're coming up, but I'm going to. Um, so group three had suggested having someone move into them. You know, and they actually call that co-housing, right? I always kind of thought that if I ended up being a single mom, where I really felt like I had to. I said, I think I would find another mom who is a single mom and try to make, and again, that's really hard, but, but try to say, okay, we're going to make a six-month contract between the two of us of how we're going to handle this, and hopefully you handle childcare and you can cover costs and, you know, all of those kind of things. Um, because it becomes very difficult when all of a sudden something changes dramatically. Uh, and I'm going to go back. That didn't come up magically. Is this one coming up magically? No. Let's see if this comes up magically now. Well, I guess not. It's like it's disconnected. Okay, well, I'll just keep talking. Okay, so um, group four. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it, it, and there it, and it, and my screen goes dark, which is interesting. Okay. Well, we'll just keep, and I, and that, I guess I have to stay here. Okay. I know. I just don't want to take time to solve that. Let's see if I can get it to advance, though. No, I can't. Let's try it again. Okay. Duplicate is, we're going to try that's not working either. I tried duplicate before, and duplicate does weird things. Okay, so it's just going to do that weird thing for right now. Um, yeah. Um, okay. And I can't get it to advance. Okay, maybe I can just get it to go down this way. Nope. Page down. There we go. Okay, we've done all of those. Group four. Oh, wow. This is like doing very weird things. Okay, group four, what did you have? Which could be like 1500 a month, yeah. you know, kind of in, yeah. Yeah, they'd have the baby with them for a period of time, yeah. yeah. So I did um, something completely different, too. I said, you know what? They're going to move to Modesto. Because <laughs> um, I looked at, actually, the city of Modesto, I looked at the, the contract with the teachers, and do you know that a... A school teacher in the city of Modesto makes the same amount that a school teacher does in San Jose. Wow. 
Do you know that the average house in Modesto costs 300,000 for a three-bedroom house, not a townhouse, but this is a house. And so um, they're going to sell. They have $120,000 of equity in their townhouse right now. Sell that. You can put 10% down on a house these days and not have to pay mortgage insurance, right? So go and buy the three-bedroom house over there. Pay off. They could then pay off their credit cards, establish their emergency fund, pay off some of the student debt, not all of the student debt. Where is she working? And she she's, could get a construction job manager. And I actually had her only going back part-time, three days a week. Um, you know, for, for now. Uh, because we know construction workers these days can get jobs anywhere. Um, and so they were, it made the numbers better and they were, again, that was just turning the whole thing upside down, you know, because to me they're pretty upside down at this point. And a lot of it is the student debt, um, which was as much, and that car debt was there. I mean, all of those things, right? I would probably, I know people get really emotionally attached to their cars, but I think she probably should sell that truck and they should take that cash and buy another truck for cash and free up that 500 bucks a month. Um, and not be doing those kind of things. Um, so thank you for all just kind of exploring all of those, those elements. You know, there was just two other things that I kind of had in there. And one was, um, one year my husband asked, you know, what I wanted for Christmas. And, and the thing I asked for, just because I, you know, you see different things happening to people around you. I, I can't tell you how many women I've seen where their husbands have died. And these women have no idea what's going on. And so, um, you know, if you're, if you're married, I would encourage you to, um, one, be equally accountable um, with your partner, with your husband. I'm going to say husband, not partner. Husband. Um, because you need to be equally accountable. Because you never know what's going to happen. And so I asked him to, to prepare a, what I call the little just-in-case notebook. And it's little tiny. It's only like three by four. And it has every password for every account, for everything. Um, it has everything that really he does that I, have, I am clueless about. Because I said, you know, I don't want to be hating you 90 days after you're gone. And I'm trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Um, and I said, and so periodically, every six months or so, he'll just flip through the pages and update things, you know, where, where is, because he kind of handles all that. He does, he handles all, ironically, he handles all the finances, um, and he does the first pass at the tax return, and then I review it and give him review notes, right? Now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, and I kind of cleaned up. That way, we're both equally accountable, because it comes very easy to me, and it doesn't come so easy to him. And so, we are equally accountable for everything that happens in there. And so, I would challenge you to try to figure out a way of making yourself equally accountable so that you are not left there hanging. Yes. I wrote my own funeral and I put and then I also wrote down everything that I've purchased through the years, what I paid, and don't sell it for fifty cents at a garage sale. Because some of those things are, are more expensive. Yes. And uh, I I felt that for one they they don't know where I worked and what I did and because I've had yep. different jobs and lived different places and I, when I was reading it, I'm crying because I died, you know. You said, I'm, I'm going to have a great funeral, <laughs> which, is, which is great. And, and I did the same thing. I yeah. did the, you know, where I have savings accounts, 
checking accounts and my passwords and yeah. things like that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really helpful. You know, my dad um, passed away a little over a year ago. And so, um, and he'd had a couple bouts and, um, I mean, he just was struggling the last year or two. And so I would periodically, when things got really bad, I would come in. He had added me as the trustee because we'd taken my mom off because she was just, she could not do it, you know, at all. Um, and the gift to her really at this point in time is she doesn't know he's gone. You know, she was married for 67 years. And, and you know, to think that that is kind of the gift at this point. Um, Dad is always fishing or she's at this place because they're all on deployment. You know, I mean, you know, it's just a, but it's really a, a gift at this point um, after all of that time. But I would just encourage you guys to do that. And then, you know, again, life has not always been easy. And, and you think about um, if you've ever gone through counseling, um, you know, I, I have these certain, like, might be only a phrase I remember of the 20 appointments I had, right? But one of the um, phrases that actually came from something when my husband was going through his divorce, the counselor would ask him, you know, Paul would be going on about something or other, and the counselor would say, well, Paul, how is that working for you, right? And so these are questions that you ask yourself when you're looking at your own financial situation, not necessarily happy, maybe about it. Um, how is that working for you? Uh, another phrase that um, Marilyn, um, who was one of my counselors, um, over time gave me when um, people were giving me unsolicited advice, which may all of what I've said today be for you. <laughs> and the response is, when they're looking for a response, is to say, isn't that interesting? <laughs> um, so that's another takeaway, because, but you, you, you're going to hear a lot of things and a lot of advice is out there, but isn't that interesting? Um, but the other thing that Marilyn, Marilyn, Marilyn gave me two other phrases, and we, I'd be talking about something, and she'd say, Michelle, what's the worst that can happen? And I would kind of go through all of that discussion, you know, articulate it, run it all through my head, and then she would say, can you deal with that? If that's the worst that can happen, and, can, and, and that's it, can you deal with that? And then I'd say, well, yeah, I think I can. Um, and it was just really a, an empowerment, you know, to actually kind of go through all of those things. And so I have one last joke, and then you guys are free. One last joke. It says, after worship one Sunday, a little boy told the pastor, pastor, when I grow up, I'm going to give you some money. Well, thank you, the pastor said, but why? Because my daddy says you're one of the poorest preachers we've ever had. <laughs> so, anyway, thank you very much. Enjoy your dinner.